Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Foundations in Faith. Join Monsignor Frank Lane as he offers insights into the readings heard at Mass. And now, Foundations in Faith with Monsignor Frank Lane. This is Father Frank Lane, and we're continuing our program, Foundations in Faith. Today, we're going to look at the Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 10, verses 37 to 42. It is in the, um, the missionary section of uh, Matthew's Gospel, talking about the sending out of the disciples, talking about the proclamation of the, of the kingdom, the proclamation of the, of the uh, kerygma, and so it's a it's a very it's it's a very powerful gospel about the mission of the church and the mission of the Christian people. And so it says Jesus instructed the twelve as follows. And remember now that in Matthew's gospel, the ones being sent out are the twelve, the apostles. And Luke's gospel is is more open to the Gentile world, and so it, it talks about the seventy or the seventy-two the number varying, and they're not sure which one, 70, because that was seen as, uh, as the number of, of, of those who translated the, uh, the scriptures um, into Greek so long ago, the Septuagint, or 72, because that was the number of what they thought was the number of the nations on the face of the earth. So it means both a fidelity to the word of God and it means also an inclusivity as far as the global um, mission of, of Jesus Christ goes. But Matthew is still in this business of the 12 taking on Jesus' mission to the people of Israel first before going out beyond and into the Gentile world. So Jesus instructed the 12 as follows, anyone who prefers father or mother to me is not worthy of me. And anyone who prefers son or daughter to me is not worthy of me. Anyone who does not take his cross and follow in my steps is not worthy of me. And anyone who finds his life will lose it, and anyone who loses his life for my sake will find it. This is a very, is, is a much more moderate interpretation of these, uh, of these mandates than, than Luke gives us. With Luke is unless you hate your mother and father and so forth. But here it says, if, if anyone who prefers mother or father, loves mother or father more than me, or, or loves son or daughter more than me, is not worthy of me. So what is, what is this thing? Well, you know, we, we look now into, into the complexities of the human heart. For Jesus says that if I am the Lord your God, if I am the one who has created you, if I am the one who spoke to Moses in the burning bush telling him my name is I am, if I am the one who led you through the desert, if I am the one now who spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, if I am the one then who now has taken on flesh that I might become one of you, obviously my presence in your life is the greatest presence in your life for your whole meaning is tied up in me, your whole origin is tied up in me, your whole destiny is tied up in me. Jesus is saying this because he understands that the whole human person basically is called to participate in the divine being for the wholeness, for the fullness, for the totality of their person. He is understanding and certainly compassionate in family bonds and, and, uh, and so forth. But here, here is where we get into a serious, a serious discussion about what this means in our lives. 
You know, especially um, at all stages of life, love is a very, very powerful motive. Jeremiah, Jeremiah tells us it is, you know, nothing is more tortuous than the human heart. And we, we read also that love is stern. We, we read that, that love is compelling, that, we're, that, that, that we, we, we don't have strong defenses against it. And Jesus is saying that no matter what, this expression experience of human love, we might not be able to experience that with the Lord when it says, love the Lord your God. But we have to understand and realize that this love that we have as human persons for others, of, who are for another person, that that love is a gift of the Lord itself and dependent on him for its fruition, its fulfillment, for the good things that it does in our lives. This is one of the reasons, of course, that uh, we invite and encourage young people to get married in the church so that the love is not just the personal bond between them, no matter how on fire it is and no matter how intense it is, but that it involves also the source of that love and the fulfillment of that love and the destiny of that love, and that is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and therefore the presence of the living God within the relationship between the two people. How many times does, does our understanding of love trump our fidelity to the Lord? How many times in our society do we do that? And how many times in our society in allowing human love to trump, therefore, the presence of God in our lives, does that bring sadness and hardship into people's lives? How many passionate romances, you know, end in destruction and in ruin? I think, you know, we, we have, with, with, there are certainly notable exceptions, but we have to look at the whole Hollywood phenomenon, the whole entertainment world, you know, the, the constant changing of partners, the constant falling in and out of love with people. It's because it doesn't transcend the human person. It's because there's no part of it that goes beyond the human person. And the fickle human heart, the torturous human heart, is, is somehow or other um, tossed about by, by this love that we feel and that we experience. It becomes, it becomes um, captured by it, it becomes imprisoned by it. And so the human heart then leads us in all sorts of strange directions. I know that, um, and, and we find, you know, signs around love always wins. Well, what kind of love always wins? Um, we, can, we can find, for instance, that there is such a thing as, as you know, as lifelong partnerships um, in, in, in human love. But, but without that transcendent element, without the element of the divine in them, they do not lift up and liberate the human person. I think that you find, you find very often in love which is not tied to the love of God, you find, for instance, it becoming kind of a prison. People beginning to experience that prison in, after many, many years when it's too late to do anything about it and say, you know, what have I done? Why, how did I get myself into this in the first place? And that can be after many, many years of being together that we cannot trust love itself to lead us into wholeness and the fullness of life. That there must be included in it that divine element which is the source of all love and which is what gives love actually and creates love within the capacity for love within the human heart. 
And so Jesus says, anyone who prefers mother or father to me is not worthy of me. Normally the love we have for our parents is a very strong love with all of the difficulties and all of the problems. We find a bond there that, that kind of transcends who we are. Sometimes that's broken and sometimes it's broken by parents. Sometimes it's broken by children. But generally speaking, in, in the whole swath of human experience, it's a very strong bond. And while we might not call it passionate love, we call it love in the sense of dedication, love of commitment, love of appreciation, love of care, love of concern, and so forth. Just like a love of friendship might not be a passionate love of friendship, but it seeks the well-being of the other, which is what true love really is all about. It seeks that the other person's well-being is more important to us than our own. And that this, of course, has to be in the hearts of young people as they seek marriage together. You know, it's, a, it's an interesting thing that statistically, um, it, it is so that couples that live together before marriage have a higher percentage of divorces than those who don't. That's a counterintuitive statistic. We would think, oh yeah, you know, you learn to live with the other person and so forth. But I think that all couples who, who are living together at least have the obligation to discuss with each, with each other, why is this statistic true? What is the difference? And, uh, and I think that it, it helps their relationship to strive to see what it is that, uh, that, that authenticates this particular reality in the world. And to come to know and to understand, therefore, a fuller dimension of the meaning of human life that kind of transcends both the emotional and the physical, and that leads us into maybe a deeper truth about ourselves. So anyone who prefers mother or father to me is not worthy of me, and anyone who prefers son or daughter to me is not worthy of me. What fierce love there is in the hearts of parents for their children. Again, not always and not in every situation, but certainly overall it becomes a very powerful emotion. And there, therefore, they, and this, this happens a lot, for instance, parents back away from their own principles, from their own wisdom, from their own knowledge and understanding in the face of a child who presumes in, in their early adulthood, who presumes, you know, to say that, you know, love is more powerful than what you think and not so on, and if you don't approve of what I do, I won't love you, and all of these kinds of complexities. Jesus said, choose, choose, the, choose the Lord, choose God and all will be well for every, better for everyone concerned. And that, um, and that this is a struggle, this is a hardship within Christian life. Can a parent risk the alienation of their child by holding to that which they know deep in their hearts to be true about the well-being of the human person? Is that, can they do that? And, and this is an encouragement from the Lord to, you know, we go back to that, there's a, there's a lot of biblical wisdom in Shakespeare and, you know, that to thine own self be true, for then it follows this day the night, thou canst be false to no man. That somehow or other the truth to the self, that that self is embedded in the relationship with Jesus Christ and the sacramental relationship with the church, rely on the strength of grace and the strength of the Lord. 
And anyone who does not take up his cross and follow my footsteps is not worthy of me. This is where the cross is most intense. We certainly, it's there in the physical suffering that people go through, but it's also there in more intently in some ways in the emotional, the, 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 the uh, struggles that, that human people, that human beings go through. That certainly, you know, the, the tearing apart of the human heart is, is, is certainly the cross. And if we refuse to allow ourselves to be wounded, if we refuse to allow ourselves to be vulnerable to hurt, um, then because we're afraid of the pain, then Jesus said, you know, you're not worthy, really. You're not worthy of me. Because, because to, to be faithful to the Lord in a fallen world is is excruciatingly painful from time to time. And yet it is in that suffering is both our redemption and the redemption of those whom we truly, truly love. And therefore, and Jesus says, so anyone who finds his life will lose it. Anyone who chooses themselves over the Lord will lose even that which they have. And anyone who loses his life, anyone who suffers for the sake of the Lord, for the sake of righteousness and truth and goodness and for the deepest experience of the human heart, they then will be the ones who discover the deepest meaning of life. They will find themselves in the greatest strength of life. And so we have now all of this beginning in this um, in, in, in the beginning of this gospel, we have the whole struggle, the whole difficulty, the whole complexity of interpersonal relationships with one another and their relationship and that dynamics relationship with the love of the Lord, the presence of the Lord in our lives. That God is, is above all. There is a, there is a, a, young, a young man, a young Spaniard at the beginning of the century, Rafael Baron, who um, who tried to become a Trappist monk and um, his had had TB I think it was TB and uh, was was really not not able ever to fully realize that although he did associate but but he had his great saying was God alone is enough uh, uh, solo Dios basta God alone is enough and so. Um, and so we, we, it does us good not to become mean, not to become intolerant, not to become self-righteous, but simply from the depths of our heart in a loving sort of way to always be true to the Lord, no matter what the pain is, no matter what the cost is. For Jesus talks about the cross, and he, here he says anyone who, anyone who, who refuses to take up his cross um, is they they will they will lose they will lose their life they will lose the core the center of their being, and then he moves on from that into anyone who welcomes you welcomes me and those who welcome me welcome the one who sent me, and so he now sets up this line of relationship between humanity and the Father. That it is first through the apostles that they find Jesus Christ, and then through Jesus Christ they are able to come to the Father. Jesus says over and over again in the Gospels, anyone who, um, you know, no one comes to the Father except through the Son. 
And, uh, and this becomes true not just in our religious life, interestingly enough. That's not, that's not the whole story. Our religious life is not the whole story. It is, it is also the, the, the intellectual life, the spiritual life, the emotional life, um, all of it. Everyone who seeks the truth can only ultimately find its resolution through the person of Jesus Christ. And that goes, you know, for the scientists and that goes. That's why, for instance, in, uh, in, in the modern sciences, we strive to, you know, comprehend the heavens. Um, they, they, can, they can get close, they can, they can approach, they can never arrive without faith in Jesus Christ, for he is the only avenue into the ultimate reality, into being itself. And so Jesus then said the beginning of that trip is to listen to the kerygma, is to be influenced by the apostolic proclamation. And anyone then who welcomes then welcomes the Lord who is the word and through that word comes to welcome the one who sent Jesus Christ who is the Father. So we have here then a whole, I mean, one simple sentence, the incorporation of the striving of the human heart. The striving, first of all, the human heart to know and experience absolute love. Um, the striving of the human mind to comprehend the incomprehensible. Um, the striving of human ingenuity to, to attain the absolute. We see, we see the tragedies when, when hubris uh, takes over. This, this uh, the daredevil quest to, to overcome the forces of nature. Um, once again, I think I've already mentioned, I, I, I can't remember his name, but the Greek mythological character who made wings out of wax and was able to fly until he flew too close to the sun. Um, well, we find it also in our modern world, among the modern worlds of adventure, we find human frailty and human fault and so forth. Um, thwarting the achievement of our perfections. And then, and then uh, Jesus then goes on about this welcoming business, and he goes on, he said, anyone who welcomes a prophet because he is a prophet will have a prophet's reward. And, and anyone, that, that means we can have all sorts of people come along with whom we become enamored, of whom we become devotees. Um, whether, whether, whether that is in the civil realm or whether that is in the religious realm. We have, you know, gurus, we call them everywhere. Um, we have, you know, great political gurus. We have great religious gurus. Um, and Jesus says, you know, you'll, you'll get what they have to offer. You'll get that in your life. And, uh, you know, if you find a religious guru that, that, uh, that is able to fulfill your needs and so forth, um, then, you know, those needs will be filled. And, uh, and in the filling of those needs, you'll find a certain amount of peace, a certain amount of happiness, a certain amount of completeness. But, he says, that falls short, that falls short um, of the ultimate achievement and anyone who welcomes a holy man because he is a holy man will have a holy man's reward. All of this, these are not negative statements. These are positive statements. But it also falls short 
of the ultimate promise, of the ultimate demand in the first part of the gospel. That somehow or other, if this ends in the prophet, if this ends in the holy man, then, then that's the end of the journey. It doesn't take you where it is supposed to be. And then he goes on to say, if anyone gives so much as a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is a disciple, then I tell you solemnly, he is most certainly will not lose his reward. And here, I, I, here I, uh, I don't know, here I think we have something extremely, extremely important to, to deal with. And it is this whole business of, of good works, this whole business of charity. Um, there is there, there is a uh, a word for charity, and, and I know I've used it and been criticized for criticizing it, but it's it's called altruism, and that is kind of an ideological sense of the benevolent, and ultimately in altruism there is a self reward going on. And so you, you, you know people who perform works of charity not out of love for the one whom they serve, but so that they feel good about themselves. And, uh, and, and, and that's not in itself evil, but it can bring about evil, for instance, when you take Western society, Western secular, highly sexualized, um, violent society, and you say, well, gee, you know, we have reached the pinnacle of civilization and wisdom and understanding in the modern age. You know, we're into all the, the, the gay stuff, the, the trans stuff, all of that kind of thing. And that's enlightened. And we're therefore really concerned about the well-being of the human person. And, uh, and so we will impose this on the rest of the world. Why 50% of our people are in counseling trying to cope with the world that we've created, which is hostile to the human to the human soul, the human spirit. And so we, we, find, we find this, this very, the, the powerful using their great wealth and their great power to coerce and to bully um, those who, who might be dependent on their, on their authentic generosity and so forth. We find that certainly with, with the International Monetary Fund, you know, yeah, we'll give you a loan if you, do, if you uh, allow abortion, or we'll give you a loan if you, uh, you know, permit gay marriage or something. In other words, do what we want you to do, then we'll pay you for it, then we'll reward you for it. But if you don't, you and who, you, who you are in yourself makes no difference to me whatsoever, only that you submit to my authority, my ideas, and my power, and my wealth. We're, we're in the midst of that right now with, uh, with the United States government and the government of Uganda. They may not govern themselves if what they do is contrary to what we do in our country. So we will take away all of our, bene all of our donations to your health care if you don't submit to our will. That's that's not charity. That, that's, that's not love of others. That's self-interest. That's power. That's, that's, in some way, shape, or form, the worst kind of imperialism. You know, the, the secular society accused the church, you know, of being imperialistic in its missionary endeavors over the years. Um, what is more imperialistic than this? What is more imperialistic than, than using your economic strength to bully other people to make them become what you want them to be and not what they choose to be in and of themselves? Craziness. But altruism has that capacity. 
It has the capacity to be self-serving. And in that sense, it is not generosity, and it is not charity, and it is not goodwill. If anyone so much as gives a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is a disciple, in other words, if you give to someone out of love of the Lord, you know, then he will most certainly not lose his reward. And this gospel in, in the liturgy is accompanied in, in its first reading by the story of, uh, of the, uh, the, a woman of rank who gives uh, the prophet Elisha a place to stay, cold water a place to stay, and so forth, because he is a prophet. And so because people are children of God, because people, are, because people have been created by the loving hand of God, and because he loves each one of them deeply as his own child, and because of that, we have an obligation to take care of them, but an obligation not of the mind, but of the heart. An obligation not connected with power and imperialism and economic sway, but because we know that it is good for the person to whom we give aid, good for the person to whom we help. Which is why Paul also says, you know, begin with your charity first with the people of the household of the faith before you move beyond, because there is such a strong tie between benevolence and power within the contemporary world. And it's, it's absolutely abhorrent to see the way that uh, especially Western societies um, basically blackmail all sorts of people throughout the world to try and make them submit to our political will. Um, or else, you know, for all we care, they can starve to death. This is, this is really beyond cynical. It's really wicked. And, uh, and so Jesus is making very sure that we don't miss the thing. Just because we're doing something altruistic, just because we're doing something that we perceive to be good, doesn't mean that it is. If it is disconnected from the love of God and disconnected for, from God's relationship to these people who, who are the recipients of, of aid and goodwill and so forth. What's happening geopolitically, of course, is that, that uh, we, we are becoming, in many places of the world, a pariah, and, uh, and which, is, which is, of course, part of the tragedy of the whole global geopolitical world. And so, um, so we find then in this gospel some very serious reflections about life. First of all, love the Lord your God. The great, and this is just the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with your whole heart, your whole soul, your whole mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And then when it goes on to how do we learn to love the Lord by learning to love the ones the Lord has sent to proclaim to us the good news and to bring to us the real presence. And how does this manifest itself? It manifests itself in love of neighbor by treating those whom we assist and those whom we help in some way as equal to ourselves, as, as equal among, within the kingdom of God, as equal among the children of God. If we therefore read this gospel in the spirit of the great commandment, and interject into the center of it as it comes, who welcomes you, welcomes me, into it the role that the church plays in the facilitating of the great commandment. Then we've pretty much grasped the meaning of the gospel. 
And in grasping it, then the only thing left that we have to do is, of course, is to live it in our personal lives and help others to do so as well. Foundations in Faith is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Foundations in Faith are available at stgabrielradio.com.